Happy September, Cassie. Oh, it is September. It is. Happy September, guys. Yay. Just that much closer to fall. I mean, it basically is fall. Like, I was driving home last Friday, and leaves were already changing colors, and it was also 83 degrees. And I was like, oh, fall weather. Yeah, it was like 90 here today, so it's not quite fall. <laughs> I mean, it was it was 96 here today, but yesterday so. <laughs> it was like 83, so it was great. Also, fucking like literally Tropical Storm Laura when it hit me, just roads were flooding. They turned into rivers. It was real fun. That's lovely. I, I found out that... um. Uh, where I live in Conway used to be underwater before they built the dam at Toad Suck. So no wonder everything was flooded. I live below sea level. Remember <laughs> me giving all that shit to New Orleans? Well, guess what? I also live, I guess, below river level. So <laughs> yeah, that's fun. Oh, yeah. Well, speaking of fall, I'm drinking a pumpkin spice latte, my first of the year. I hate pumpkin spice lattes. They're disgusting. They're so good. They're not. They're the most basic drink you can get. I don't think that's true at all. <laughs> can I get a PSL half-calf extra whipped cream? I didn't even get whipped cream on mine, so... No whipped cream, extra calf. Speaking of caffeine, you know, I've been against caffeine for, like, years. And I'll get... Like, I'm drinking Starbucks now. I'll drink Starbucks, like, once or twice a month, maybe. But 2020 has changed me. I've drank caffeine, like, every day last week. <laughs> Welcome to being an adult. <laughs> I I mean, I hate it because I don't want to be addicted to it, but, you know, it helps. Yeah. And I think I think it, I think it's good of me that I went 27 years being able to function without it. I mean, hey. <laughs> but now, now is the you. time that, you know, I don't know. I'm really digging Red Bull. I bought like a case of it today. <laughs> God, I hate Red Bull. It's the sugar-free kind, so it's different, but, you know. Whatever. I just don't like the taste. It tastes like licorice to me. The only time I like Red Bull is when there's vodka in it. Mm, yeah, no, I don't. I can't mix it with alcohol, but I don't think it tastes like licorice at all. I just, I'm not a fan. I don't like, I guess I just like monsters so much. Everyone, actually, I like bangs. They're my favorite, but That's I don't a pretty know. basic energy drink. <laughs> it's the best energy drink. Pretty basic. Not really. It has creatine in it. It's very anti-basic. Like the cotton candy one. It's not even the one I get, actually, but... Oh, just like I don't get whipped cream on my PSL. <laughs> Let me tell you, if we're going to go basic energy drinks, Red Bull is the most basic. I don't know. I mean... Red Bull gives you wings. Look at that. You know their slogan. They're so good at marketing. <laughs> Listen, last time I had Red Bull, I woke up walking down a hallway almost naked, locked out of my hotel room in New Orleans, so... Now... Did you mix alcohol with this Red Bull? I was drugged that night. Thank you. That's all I <laughs> then had. Then how are you going to blame the Red Bull? <laughs> because that's the only drink I had. And sorry that I thought I could turn around and not monitor my drink. That was my bad, but... Do you want me to keep that in? <laughs> sure. Oh, my God. Everyone needs to know. It doesn't matter your gender. You can get drugged, especially in New Orleans. This is a weird episode. <laughs> Side note. Also, all I had to do was walk down to the front desk, like, basically in my... I was actually not basically. I was only in my underwear, and I just told the front desk, and they said, quote, Oh, this happens all the time. Can you tell me <laughs> whose name is on the reservation? So I gave my nephew's name, and he was like, Oh, yeah. Here you go. Gave me a new key and everything. 
What kind of fuck? What, what the fuck is that? Yeah. Any, any, your stalker could have just walked in and been like, hey. I know, right? But then I put the, I put the safety lock on when I got back in there. Lock that shit was like, <laughs> good. nope. Good, good. So anyway. <laughs> anyway. Anything exciting happened to you last week? Yeah, week? lots of stuff. Lots of stuff happened. Um, so I watched that Unwell, the the documentary mm. series. I watched the Essential Oils episode, and I got mad enough for the both of us. It was some stupid bullshit is what it was. Is and it Jennifer really? was right. There's a man who is a <laughs> chiropractor who goes oh, around saying, Dr. Z. He's like, I'm Dr. Z. And blah, 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 essential oils. He sprays his children with essential oils while they're playing outside. And I'm like, nope, nope. And then he's like, I'm a doctor. I'm like, surely you're not a medical doctor. And he's like, I'm a doctor of chiropractic medicine. I was like, so you're not a doctor is what you're saying. So did you get more upset about the chiropractic medicine no. or the essential oils? I got more upset about him saying, this is God's medicine. Oh, yeah. And, I was warned about that. And I can't say that legally, I can't say that this cures cancer. But what I can say is that there are people who have had cancer and who have used essential oils and they didn't have cancer anymore. And I'm like, no, you can't. And then his wife is an ex Miss Georgia and they go to church <laughs> and she wears her sash and her tiara to church. And I'm like, I'm sorry, ma'am, but you're like 47. And then they have a. Th they have like fucking festivals for essential oils and everyone goes there and people like cry and it's all these old Debras and Karens and they're like, oh, essential wow. oils changed my life. And that shit pissed me off. But then there were like very, there were clinical aromatherapists on there who actually do the stuff based on science and like back all their stuff. And like, this is used to complement, you know, complementary and alternative medicine. It's used to complement you know, Western medicine, and they use it to help like children with developmental delay or autism. That's not to say that it should be used only, it should be used in conjunction with other things. But if it's, if we can use essential oils to help decrease like opioid dependence, that's awesome. If that's a possibility, that's great. We should do that. But then you have crazy doctors who say it cures cancer. I'm like, no, it doesn't. You Okay. This isn't a rant episode. I get it. I get uh, it. You're angry. There's a reason I haven't watched it because I know it's going to get me upset. I was angry, but also pleasantly surprised that there are people out there who are getting very good education, who are going out there and going based on research that is good research. So anyway, any fun things for you? <laughs> I am famous now. Are you? Yeah. I got an email from... Mm, let me back up. So when I was in grad school, one of the things that we had to do like outside of a class just for the program was to interview like an, an alumni who had been through the program. And then like one of the interviews got published in the campus newsletter or whatever. Guess who got picked for the published newsletter interview? Ooh, yeah. You me. Did, girl. Yeah. I got an email from a student. I was like, hello, I'm blah, blah, blah. Can I interview you? And I was like, oh. Yes, you can. <laughs> Everyone, back up about 30 feet. Cassie's head just grew six sides. <laughs> That's pretty cool, though. That's really neat. Right? I Because I've had to, I had to interview so many people in grad school, and I was a nervous wreck every time. But I feel like being the interviewer-e, interviewee, is going to be way different. I'm going to be like, yeah, I'm cool. This is my job. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I would be more nervous being the interviewee because then you just have to come off as cool, and this is what I do. 
No, I would. I'm way nervous as an interviewer because you have to come up with like creative questions, and then most of the time you have to like present the interview to someone. And no, no, I got it. She gave me like a list of the questions, so I gotta like think of my maybe write them down like I do for the pod. Just like have a little sheet over here. <laughs> you should be like, I'm sorry, I will not answer that question. <laughs> no comments. <laughs> you may not ask me any questions about my cat. She is anonymous. They want a photo of me too. So I don't, do I take one? Do I pick like an old one? Don't worry. I'm going to send you some photos later that you could totally use. I'm guessing they're not of me. So no. How do you know they're not of you? <laughs> Unless you hate me. I'm not on the list of topics that, that you hate or that I hate. You hate yourself. Oh yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be some uh, fucking meta shit if we had both each other on each other. Oh my god, can we do that? No! <laughs> Tyler, I know you hate yourself, so here's a th- your life. <laughs> here's your life story. Like, see, you're not as terrible as you thought. Yeah. Here's some of your good qualities, and these are your bad ones. <laughs> fun fact time? Sure. Hit me with your fun fact. Okay, so, since we are now officially in September, I decided to do a fun fact about September. I almost did this, but I'm glad I didn't, so go for it. Okay, so Cassie, did you know that on average, more babies are born in the U.S. in the month of September than any other month? No, but it makes sense, I guess. Yeah, uh, same. You would have to be conceived in December? Between New Year's and Valentine's Day. Oh, okay, yeah. Plus the winter months. That's not right. (laughs) That is. No, because I was born in November, so I was a Valentine's baby. September. Oh, fuck. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's December, right? So Christmas babies then. There we go. Welcome to the podcast. Tyler can't do simple math. It's okay. It happens. Well, sticking with my theme of energy drinks, I was like, hmm, I wonder what the first ever energy drink was. So I looked it up. Was it Mr. Green? That shit was delicious. No, but oh my God, I forgot about Mr. Oh, Green. Oh, it was so good. Uh, Okay, no. But so aside from like Pepsi and Coca-Cola, because those were marketed to like give you energy. Cocaine. (laughs) Yeah. I also read a little bit about that. That's crazy too. Um, The first energy drink introduced in America was called Dr. Enough. (laughs) (laughs) When you've had enough of your kids, have a glass of Dr. Enough. It'll give you the energy not to kill them. Yeah, and it was in 1949. Oh I was like, wow, God. that's you so know early. All those poor housewives who their husbands <laughs> wouldn't let work, and they're like, I have had enough. That's how that honestly, that's probably how they survived, like doing all the all the housewife things is drinking. All, ugh, I can't even imagine. Anyway, it was created by William Mark Schwartz, who wanted a soft drink with vitamins and no empty calories, which, okay. But he de- he developed an ener- energy booster for the drink containing B vitamins, caffeine, and cane sugar. And you can still buy Dr. Enough because it's still manufactured today in Johnson City, Tennessee. Interesting. It's still called Dr. Enough? I think so. I, c- I didn't Wait, mention Mr. Anymore. Enough? Just Doc- Enough? No, Dr. Dr. Enough? Yes. That's a terrible name, but I want to try it really bad. It has B vitamins. Maybe I can find some. I it's, mean, I'm all sure around Tennessee have somewhere. B vitamins now. Well, yeah, but the, uh, this is the first one <laughs> because Coca-Cola had cocaine and Pepsi was like the first, but no one cares. They probably had meth in there. No one knows. Yeah. 
Listen, Pepsi my Adderall is literally just clinical grade meth. <laughs> Pepsi would never do that. I'm one of those people that likes Pepsi better than Coke. So like. See, I like Dr. Pepper better than either. And Dr. Pepper is a promiscuous product. It is either bottled by Coke or Pepsi, depending on where you're located. Fun fact. Sure. But that's not the debate. The debate is Pepsi and Coke. You can't be third party and pick Dr. Yeah, Pepper. Actually, no. Actually, I'm going Mr. Pibb all the way. Actually, you're right. I love Mr. Pibb. Give me some Pibbs. You remember when you were living in Missouri and I forced us to go to every Target known to Mac <laughs> that wanted Pibb Zero and could not fucking find it anywhere? Yeah. That shit is delicious. All right. Are we ready? I think so. Okay. So, disclaimer. Neither of us are professionals in the topics we're about to cover. We will probably get lots of information incorrect, but we do do our best. If you happen to be an expert in this week's topic, we would love to hear from you. And by all means, please correct us. You can get in contact with us at we are two haters on Twitter and Instagram, or you can email us at we are two haters at gmail.com. Yeah. And please follow us, guys. <laughs> we have very little followers. <laughs> yes. Yes. Very few. Very few. But that's OK. That's yeah, fine. We're just starting We're small. out. We're small and we like it. Yeah. Not but really. you know, you, you could do us a favor. You could just share the podcast. Tell your friends. Mm, tell everyone you know. <laughs> yeah. And also, let's be real. We go over so many random topics. There's got to be a topic we've covered thus far that somebody you know will probably find interesting. Yeah. That's our strategy is that someone finds one episode they like and then they fall in love with us. So they listen to all the other episodes. I mean... And y'all can't see us yet, but you will fall in love with us. If nothing else, you can see our horrible facial expressions when the other one's talking. Mm. We're yeah. not we're not great at hiding those. And uh, whose breast did I introduce you to? No one's. I do, what? <laughs> it's not a tit for tat scenario. <laughs> or a a tit for tat. <laughs> God damn it! I'm probably gonna cut that. And that was funny. Oh, you should leave it. It's so funny. No, because it's a, what kind of context is that? If I left that in, I'm sorry. You have no context for what we just talked about. Should we give them context? No. <laughs> I'm going first. Are you ready? <laughs> yes. I don't have a riddle for you, but I have... I have one for you. Oh, I'm shocked. But I have maybe like a puzzle. I love puzzles. Okay. I know. So I'm going to read you three sentences. I already to, hate it. You have to tell me the pattern in all three sentences. Oh, I'm so bad at these. All secrets make rain. Aliens smell many rockets. Angry seahorses mobbed riptides. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> okay, I'll give you a hint. Mm-hmm. They all start with an A, and they all have four words. Say the words again. <laughs> you don't have to get it. Can I just tell you? I guess. All secrets make rain. All secrets make rain. ASMR. Fuck! Ah, <laughs> oh, god damn it. Yay! You're right. The pattern is ASMR. That's uh, the, the pattern. So that's uh, our topic uh, uh, this week is ASMR. I hate that. You do that like I don't have objects over here that I'm going to perform. Oh, motherfucker. <laughs> so tell me, why do you hate ASMR? 
is creepy as fuck and I do not find it calming. If anything, it makes me very uncomfortable and does not relax me. It has the opposite effect. It very much makes me uncomfortable and feels as though I am in a horror movie. What makes you uncomfortable about it? The sounds or the visual? I don't like when people whisper. Okay. I hate it. I got it. I got it. The only person who's ever done ASMR that I didn't hate was Jenna Marbles, and she didn't actually do <laughs> ASMR. She's like, it's me, Peach. That, I love that video. Yeah, me <laughs> I too. I watch that one all the time. She eats Chipotle. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a, part, there's a part in the video where she sneezes, and she goes, ASMR sneeze. <laughs> Okay, so before we get started, I'm going to take a sip of water. I don't know if I can do it. <laughs> Fucking hate you. Don't choke. Okay, I, can, I should have practiced. <laughs> <laughs> I can do this. <laughs> How do people do this? This is so hard. <laughs> Uh, all right wait no i can do it no you can't (laughs) seriously how do people make videos like that so what is asmr i'm so glad that you asked (laughs) oh no i have the giggles ASMR stands for Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. Did you know that? No, actually. Yeah, that's what it stands for. The response is a tingling sensation that typically begins on the scalp and moves down the back of the neck and upper spine. So I'm guessing since you hate it, it's never you never felt the tingles? No, what I feel is a deep-seated disdain for all things, <laughs> and it grows from my stomach and then comes like I'm going to vomit. I mean, there's a thing that's in here for what you have but that's sad i feel tingles all the time and it's such it feels great (laughs) so that feeling is similar to frisian which is the proper name for like when we get goosebumps and the hair on our arms stand up so it's like that but on your head (laughs) it has also been described as a mild electric current which i don't feel that at all um and the or the feeling of carbonated bubbles in a glass of champagne the scientific term for it is called paris Anesthesia, not synesthesia, paresthesia. Yeah, so just numbness and tingling, paresthesia. Yeah. Um, but ASMR people call it tingles. ASMR signifies the subjective experience of low-grade euphoria because of the positive feelings and the static-like tingling sensation on the skin. The response is commonly triggered by specific auditory or visual stimuli. It's kind of like when I watch The Great Gatsby. That entire movie just gives me tingles. Oh, yeah. Like when you get chills. all Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Interestingly, some people can feel tingles and some can't. Like even if they like ASMR, they don't feel the tingles from it. So it's not like what you have. It's just different. (laughs) Um, So it's like a magic gift that people have. I am one of those. You mean like horses being immune to snake venom? That's not a magic magical gift. gift. Humans do that to them. (laughs) Whatever. That's a great fucking gift. I wish I had that gift. And the thing is, nobody knows why. There's not like a thing where like if you're born, they test you and they're like, this person's going to have ASMR tingles. (laughs) Wouldn't that be crazy, though, if it was like a 23andMe test like it is for the cilantro (laughs) gene? You know, it might be one day. Who knows? (laughs) 
Okay, so contemporary ASMR um, began to be talked about in 2007, but obviously it existed before then. So this uh, is kind of proven by the fact that Virginia Woolf wrote a passage in the novel Mrs. Dalloway. It's describing a nursemaid speaking to a man, and this is what the passage says. Deeply, softly, like a... (laughs) It kind of does sound sexual. (laughs) Deeply, softly, like a mellow organ with a a rough... Listen. (laughs) With a roughness in her voice, like a grasshopper's, which rasped his spine deliciously and sent running up into his brain waves of sound. So that's like very sexual old school ASMR, I guess. But I don't understand the roughness like a grasshopper's. Sound like old school adult literature. Funny you say that. <laughs> like so, she came to him. Biff twirled her, her skirt ripping open. Her loins were on fire. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Blanche Devereaux. Continue. So like I said, ASMR really began to get popular in 2007, but between then and 2010, it didn't have an official name. It was just kind of things, it it was like a feeling people talked about, Um, but most people called it a brain orgasm. Um, But there are those that objected to that, saying um, that the relaxing nature of ASMR is different from sexual arousal. So actually, Jennifer Allen coined the term ASMR in 2010, saying that the name was the most objective, comfortable, and clinical, but there are some uh, that still say it's a sexual feeling. And these people specifically do ASMRotica, (laughs) (laughs) which is deliberately designed to be sexually stimulating. That's amazing. (laughs) So um, a little bit more about Jennifer Allen, because I just think this is super interesting. Um, She was one of the first people to talk about this sensation in an online forum, um, just to see if anyone else was like feeling that. (laughs) She noticed that physical response of it going from her scalp down her neck when she would watch videos of space. But when she would Google that feeling, nothing came up. And um, finally, she did begin to see some like reddit posts i don't think it was reddit because it was back in the day but like some something like that um but people that posted about it were ashamed of it because they thought it was weird (laughs) and she wanted to make it not weird so that's why she came up with a name for it and it just really took off from there you know what sometimes when i see the vast expanse that is the ocean it makes me want to die okay how does that relate to ASMR? Well, the vast expanse of space (laughs) gave her the tingles the vast expanse of the ocean and the unknown Give me crippling anxiety. Fair, fair. Oh, I mean, excuse me. I just have to tap something real quick. Is that a hairspray bottle? Yeah, it is. I tried to find something that would make the best sound. Nice. Is this doing it? Is it giving you tingles? It's kind of making me want to throw up a little bit. Oh, my God. But I don't like it. So let's talk triggers. The things that give people the tingles are called triggers, and they're usually audio or visual things. Um, Here are some of the common ones that give people the tingles. Softly spoken words or a whispered voice. (laughs) Quiet, repetitive sounds resulting from someone engaging in a mundane task, such as turning the pages of a book or typing. Oh, I really don't like this. You're just describing it's making me uncomfortable. Oh, I, but see, I picked those two because those are the two things that give me tingles. <laughs> no, like someone else turning the pages of a book and being like, mm, <laughs> they're sinister. They're planning something terrible. What? You can't trust them. 
Because they're turning the pages of a book? I don't trust it. What? Why are they recording themselves turning the pictures of a book? Because it gives people tingles. What is the thing I have? What is the anti-tingles called? You have misophonia. Do I? Yes. Oh. Which I do too. So when you think about this hatred, think about me listening to you eat. That's what I feel all the time. (laughs) The third one, uh, slicing of pleasant sounding food like celery or peeling an orange. Those do not do it for me. Loudly chewing, crunching, or slurping food and drink. Oh. Yeah, those that one definitely does not do it for me. Um, tapping on things, which typically is like nails tapping onto a surface that is plastic, wood, paper, or metal. Uh, hand movements or hand sounds. It's a hand. Oh, like. Mm, yeah, it's usually like this or like rubbing your hands together. Hmm, that's not too terrible. Yeah. And then the hand movement is specifically like visual. So it's, it's like stroking the camera. <laughs> like it's That's incredibly face. sexual. No, it's not. Is that, is that what you do before sex? <laughs> you just stroke their face like that? Yep. <laughs> I'm, I'm like a cat. Uh, and then the last one is, I'm just going to preface, I don't like this one and it does not give me tingles. <laughs> Um, role-playing scenarios to combine any of the previous triggers men- mentioned, but it's like roles like a hairstylist, so it's like scissors cutting things, or like a nail tech because it's the little instruments making sounds, or some some people are really into like the doctor stuff. <laughs> uh, literally, so. my first thing that I picture. <laughs> Have you seen that, that um, woman on YouTube who eats like seafood and does ASMR while she eats? I've like- seen of her i don't um, watch i cannot the, watch the those. first thing i pictured was someone role-playing as her and the other person role-playing as an octopus and she's trying to eat them that's sexual my god <laughs> <laughs> when you say role-play that's the first thing that i thought of I meant like, okay okay whatever Something to note here is that asmr which is a positive result of sounds is the direct opposite of misophonia which is the hatred of sounds. <laughs> Certain sounds, not all sounds. Some For some people, it's all sounds. Well, specifically like autistic people or people on the mm-hmm. spectrum. Oh, yeah, because they get overstim real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have misophonia, and apparently I think you just discovered that you do too. <laughs> it's um, like, but specifically just ASMR misophonia. Like I hate just the ASMR things, the triggers. I hate them. Okay. But, like, if someone is in a room whispering, does it bother you? No, no. It only on video. I find it inherently creepy that they're whispering in a room by themselves into a microphone for millions of people. That freaks me out. So you can avoid your misophonia real easily. (laughs) I do. I don't. I don't. Do not seek it out whatsoever. So misophonia is on the list of things that I hate. So I'm just going to leave that to Tyler to explain everything behind that. Um, but there are people that, ha- that get ASMR tingles and have misophonia like me. So I very much enjoy like quiet, slow, repetitive sounds. So I think that's why like tapping gets me, but people like chewing food or like even like fast paced sounds can't do it. Don't like it. Slow so down. if I were like, Ba-da-da-da-da! yeah, you're just loud. <laughs> oh. oh, if you'll excuse me for a second, I'm just going to grab a snack real quick. I'm not going to eat it. I'm just going to open it first. Oh, veggie straws. I love veggie straws.
Oh my god, you're that fucking bitch in every meeting. Open your damn chips. Just fucking open them. No, I gotta go slow. I'm giving you the tingles. You're not giving me the tingles. You're just pissing me off. <laughs> Rip the goddamn band-aid off. How's that? Was that good? You're that person in the movie theater right next to someone who's really intently watching the movie <laughs> and you're yep. trying to open your fucking candy. Mm-hmm. Just everyone, do it. Everyone knows you open your candy during the previews. I mean, sometimes the previews are the best part. Yeah, you, but that's... you open your candy during those terrible movie spe- movie theater specific <laughs> commercials. If you're like a pro, but if you get there a little late, the previews have already started, do it before the movie starts. I mean, honestly, if you want to be a movie pro, when you're going to the Dollar Tree or the gas station to get all your candy snacks that you're going to smuggle in, open them in your bag or open them (laughs) in your pocket. I mean, my movie theater checks bags, so I can't do that. That's why you put it in your bra. They're not going to check the bra. (laughs) And if they are, you'd be like, excuse me, sir, I am a lady. They've also never checked my boots. I've been checked at movie theaters, too, but they don't check shoes. I mean, Fun fact, that's how you also sneak flask in places. Yeah, I think they're checking for guns, so I don't know why they would look in shoes. Oh, yeah, true. (laughs) I don't think they're checking for snacks. Oh, well, you're probably right. (laughs) Maybe like the hardcore theaters, but, you know. Look at my little, my simple little idealistic brain. I know. I was thinking about snacks, not guns. (laughs) Well, let's talk about the science behind ASMR, because there actually is some. So not surprisingly, there are no evolutionary origins to ASMR. However, the descriptions of ASMR compared to the sensation of relaxation to physical touch, um, and that leads into the theory of like the act of grooming. So David Huron, a professor at the School of Music, um, this is weird, he's talking about evolution, but to each their own, at Ohio State University said ASMR is clearly strongly related to the, percep- to the perceptions of non-threats and the altruistic action and has a strong similarity to being physically groomed, no, has a strong similarity to physical grooming in primates who derived bordering on euphoric feeling when being groomed. You know, I bet you said he was in the music department. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of like sound-based therapies now. Like that's a thing. So he might, that might be why he's there. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense because ASMR is like sound. So yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and this is also similar to like the, like getting a haircut or like a massage. It's like oh, relaxing to people. Mm, you know what I mean? I so I think ASMR and like, yeah, well, and I think getting massage is pretty similar, I guess, because like you're paying someone to touch you. <laughs> like that's weird, but you are. Brains have actually been scanned in an MRI machine while experiencing ASMR tingles. And the findings support the hypothesis that we talked about, the grooming one, because uh, the brain areas such as the nucleus accumbens, the medical prefrontal cortex, the insula, and the secondary somatosensory cortex were activated. Sure. Were activated more strongly while they were having the tingles. Uh, These are also the same regions that are affected during social bonding and musical frisson. So like the goosebumps that you get from like Broadway shows and stuff like that. Three surveyed studies shows that people who experience ASMR have, this is interesting, have higher big five personality traits in in openness, neuroticism. 
So like being moody, having anxiety, fear, anger, depression, they have higher things. <laughs> uh, but they they score lower in conscientiousness, extroversion, and agreeableness. Oh, God. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> like, if you like ASMR, you are not agreeable. Not if you, you are- like it, if you get the tingles. Oh, if you get the tingles. Okay. The tingles, yeah. Wait, did that just say that you're an introvert that is disagreeable and... Well, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it did. Which makes sense because when we talk about... We're going to talk about therapeutic stuff in ASMR, but most people who are moody with anxiety and depression, yeah. they turn to ASMR videos. So that makes complete sense. So question, and you mm-hmm. may not have this. They might not have done the research. So is this just... Were those uh, characteristics, were those just with... ASMR specifically, or was it with people who get tingles from or frisian? Is that what it's called? Yeah, the goosebumps. The goosebumps. Is that from any media or is that just from ASMR? Just ASMR. Okay. So audio or vi- visual sensory things. I mean, I get. I don't. I guess I didn't really look into this. Doesn't everyone get frisian? Does can you, mm-hmm. can anyone get goosebumps? Uh, if you're uh, if you, I think it's autonomic. I think so. Even if you're paralyzed, you should still be able to get it. Oh, that's interesting. Because it's it's a different pathway. It might uh, it, it might be depending on your level of injury too. I don't know. Oh, I, j- I didn't mean I didn't even mean injured people. I just meant like in general. It's not like ASMR. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a. I it's, guess I never thought about if someone can't get goosebumps because like I know people that can think about things and give themselves goosebumps, which is interesting. But I know other like when I watch a really like example um, in the Avengers Endgame. Yeah. When Cap grabs the hammer. Oh, yes. Yeah, goosebumps same. every time. Like, I feel like I'm going to, if I keep talking about it, I'm going to get them. So, I like, literally thought you were going to say a league of their own, though. And I was like, Cassie, you cannot bring that up for three <laughs> consecutive weeks. No. <laughs> so, yeah, I think all that's pretty interesting, but there's still tons to learn about the brain with ASMR and the effects that the tingles have on the human body. It's also difficult to research it because every brain is different and the neurodiversity of people's fundamental positive or negative responses are different, hence you and I. So basically, it's a Mary Poppins bag full of research opportunity. (laughs) Yeah, it is. You know, you can get anything out of Mary Poppins bag. I would have went Hermione Granger's bag, but... You're right, but I'm a Mary Poppins stan. I'm a Harry Potter stan. My God, I'm so hungry. Oh, my fuck me. God damn it. Plug your headphones back in right now. You're cheating. <laughs> Did you hear my mouth sound? <laughs> Ew. I think this is hurting you more than it's hurting me. Oh. That's a good bite. Crunchy. I bet that's the noise a cricket would make if you ate it. Oh my God. I had a... There was a giant spider that I killed on last Sunday and I like sprayed it with like the bug spray and it wouldn't die. And then I felt bad because it was like slowly dying. So I stepped on it and it made the most satisfying crunch. And it was satisfaction from other crunches. (laughs) It was it was full of it was like so full of blood, though. I was so surprised, like such a tiny spider had that much. It must have been eaten. It was swollen. Gross. I think it must have been getting ready to like lay all its eggs, so it was trying to suck all Why the. Why are you telling this story? Because <laughs> it made me think of it. God, I just ate a veggie straw, and you're like, "Oh, the spider." 
<laughs> it was a crunchy spider. It's like, remember in Hocus Pocus where she's like, <laughs> crunchy. Well, let's move on to the therapeutic outcomes of my what my crunch just did to people. Maybe Even though spiders. It grossed me out. <laughs> so people use ASMR to relax, right? They That's what the tingles do. They have like a weird calming effect on your body. I don't know why. In fact, ASMR, um, if it's part of your regular routine, which it is for a lot of people, it's similar to meditating. You know how I love to meditate. I know. Which I don't like to meditate. See, this is weird. So strange. We're like weird opposites. I know. I know. How strange. There are anecdotal reports of ASMR treating insomnia, depression, anxiety, and panic attacks. So I can actually attest to the anxiety and panic attack thing because I watch ASMR videos. No shame. But not like the weird ones. <laughs> uh, and the insomnia ones, actually, I sometimes they make me fall asleep. But on YouTube, you'll find like four or five hour long videos specifically to make people sleep. Oh, my God. This reminds me. So <laughs> I used to have an app before I got to the waking up app for my uh, meditation app. I used to use Calm. And one of the things that Calm also had was they had sleep stories. And there was a long time where I would listen to their sleep stories because they were great. One night, there was one recommended to me. And I was like, okay, I'll listen to it. So I'm laying down, getting ready for bed. Sleep story starts playing. It's a motherfucking ASMR sleep story. And my God, I could, it woke me up. And I did not fall asleep until like three hours later. I was so pissed. I was so mad. Well, I hate to burst your bubble, but sleep stories um, stemmed from ASMR. <laughs> That's fine. That is absolutely fine because I like sleep stories, but fuck not if they're an ASMR sleep story combined into one because that's that's terrifying. I mean, I will say generally the ASMR videos that I like don't involve whispering. So I'm, I, I kind of get whispering is just sinister to me. Okay, that's interesting. Unless you're whispering to your friend about your other friend who's being stupid or you're whispering obscenities to one of your other friends because you're in an environment where you guys want to cuss at each other, but you can't cuss Ooh. loudly. I've never heard anyone whisper obscenities. Oh, I whisper obscenities all the time. It's my favorite thing to do at work. And I just, I I usually can't get through, I, I won't say I can't get through my day, but sometimes I just really need to say God damn fucking cunt bag or something. I don't know. <laughs> just Just something, just something spicy. I'm going to get you a mug with that phrase on it. Please do. I would love it. <laughs> and the cunt like only shows up when there's hot liquid in it. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, because that is a hot fire word. There you go. There's a paper that was published <clears throat> and it was a study of 245 men, 222 women and eight non-binary people, all aged from 18 to 54 years old, all of whom can experience the ASMR tingles and regularly consumed the ASMR media. Noise, noise. And the authors concluded and suggested that given the reported benefits of ASMR and improving mood and pain symptoms, ASMR warrants further investigation as a pot potential therapeutic measure similar to that of meditation and mindfulness. Okay, so I'm going to quickly go over, over some ASMR like in the real world before we talk about, obviously, the very popular YouTube videos. Um, one great example of unintentional ASMR are Bob Ross videos. Oh, that's fair. He's very what? monotonous. Yeah, he talks very, he doesn't whisper, but he talks very gently and soft. And then you can hear the brush strokes or whatever. Have you ever seen the Bob Ross videos, but in horror film version, 
Those freak me out. Perfect example. No, I would never ruin Bob Ross like oh, that. God. I, d- I You know, weirdly, I watch Bob Ross videos to fall asleep to, so I don't know if that's ASMR or if it's just like calming things to fall asleep to. The first digital art installation specifically inspired by ASMR was by the American artist Julie Wise, <laughs> and it was called the Touch Muse- Museum. Have you seen the movie Battle of the Sexes? No, I have not. There is a haircutting scene in the movie that was deliberately put in there to get ASMR tingles to people. And the director said, um, people work to make videos that elicit this response. And we were wondering, could we get a, that kind of response in a theater full of people? Interesting. I haven't seen it either. So I don't know. Have you seen Get Out? Uh, yeah. You know, the tea, the cut, the teacup. I fucking hate that part. <laughs> it puts you in like a trance, like, which is kind stink. of ASMR. Yeah. That movie pisses me off. Okay. For the right way- reasons. I was going to say, I mean, yes. <laughs> Ooh, Jordan um, Peele. Yeah, so great, right? During the Super Bowl in 2019, I don't know if you remember this, but Anheuser-Busch broadcasted an ASMR-themed commercial for Michelob Ultra with Zoe Kravitz in it. Do you oh, remember that? I do remember that. Yeah, she, yeah. I, ugh, Did Zoe you hate Kravitz. that, too? It's Zoe no, Kravitz. No, it's Zoe Kravitz. Of course I loved it. Oh, okay. So if it's Zoe Kravitz or, like, or Selena Gomez. I was about to say, or Selena Gomez, you would love it. Or Jenna Marbles. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we, we we there's a theme if i actually like the person it's fine i'm cool mm, okay i have another one to bring up in a second when we get down to it and then in 2020 the first major exhibition on asmr called weird sensation feels good <laughs> will take place uh sweden's national museum for architecture and design and that's all i could find on it i don't really know what it is but it's asmr themed oh my god i need some duct tape that's a terrible segue. That was the worst. Oh my god, there's a crack in my desk. I must duct tape it. <laughs> I like that one. Oh, I'm sorry. I like that one. That's the last one sounded like a fart. I just wanted to pop and hit you in the face right now so bad. I wish you would have got something stuck on your tooth. I kind of secretly want to be an ASMR artist. You're ruining my time as an ASMR artist. Oh, whoa. Okay, so we're almost done. I realize this has been so long. <laughs> yeah, geez. Okay, but you want the tingles? Hear how you hear how you get the tingles. Are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. These are some popular YouTubers. <laughs> Did I just get drunk off that ASMR high? <laughs> These are popular YouTubers. Some popular YouTubers whose jobs are literally just whispering and tapping stuff, and they're making more than you and I will probably ever make. <laughs> Yeah, so most of these ASMR people are female, like I said before, but not all of them. And most of the YouTubers, they use a bineural, bion, bineural microphone, which basically it just like isolates the sound in one earbud if you go to one side, you know, or if you're in the middle, it goes to both. <clears throat> so I'm going to name a few YouTuber YouTubers and their most popular videos and then the views that they have on those videos. 
So first we got G Jibby Gibby <laughs> ASMR, and her most popular video is dark and relaxing tapping and scratching. Close whisper. And it has 19 million views. Jesus. Then we have ASMR Darling, and her most popular video is ASMR 20 Triggers to Help You Sleep, and it has 35 million views. Also, she when I was looking at her channel, she just put out an ASMR mask video, which, I, I mean, it's it's actually good. Gave me some tingles, so, like, <laughs> it was good. Then we have ASMR Magic, and their most popular video is ASMR 50 Triggers Over 3 Hours, No Talking, Ear Cleaning, Massage, Tapping, Peeling, Umbrella, and More. And it has ear cleaning. That's a very popular one. It's like it's like when you were scratching the mic. That's what it is. But it's just in one ear. (laughs) That video has 84 million views. Wow. So all three of those were female, but I'm not going to be sexist. We got two males up in here. The next is Raffy Taffy ASMR. And his most popular video is ASMR tapping. Straight simple. And it has 20 million views. Then uh, we have Fred's voice ASMR, and his most popular is ultra fast, <laughs> ultra fast raw barbershop sounds. <laughs> it's like scissors and like, you know, it has 12 million views. Now, <laughs> this guy has a nickname in the ASMR community. Do you want to know what it is? Is it something raw? It's it. it <laughs> no, uh, no, <laughs> it's ASMR Thor. Because he looks very similar to Chris Hemsworth, like very similar. So much so, I know, hold on, before you look him up, so much so that he dresses up like Thor in some of his ASMR videos. <laughs> this for a while, but you know it's back? Backstreet Boys? Gossip. Oh. No, my hot gossip. The Backstreet Boys never left. <laughs> They're Guess still- he's hot gas. I'm going to tell you some of the weirdest ASMR videos that I could find. And I'm not trying to shade these creators, but some of these are really cringy. Belle and some, Delphine, one of them. Some are really, she doesn't do ASMR. I don't know. No. She sells her bath water. She might whisper while she's doing it. No. Some of these are super cringy and some are really funny. So the first one I found was ASMR boyfriend saves you from drowning. <laughs> <laughs> Is that cringy or just funny? I didn't watch it, honestly, but I'm assume it's cringe. Then we have ASMR friendly ghost role play. <laughs> That's hilarious. I would watch that. That's amazing. <laughs> then we have ASMR asthma attack comfort after a bear attack. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That's amazing. Moving on. We have ASMR to help you sleep. I beat you till you're unconscious again. <laughs> That's. I find that offensive. You know, domestic I abuse. Didn't, it doesn't say. It doesn't say you're dating. It just says I beat you till you fall asleep. Fine, just abuse. Sure. Uh, ASMR whispering banana, and it's the banana filter. You know the banana filter where your face becomes a banana. And just whisper banana. Uh, yeah. No, you're whispering as the banana. You are the banana. And then the weirdest one that I found. I did not watch it because it it kind of hurts me. Hostage interrogation, torturing you with dental procedures. So, but I don't want to end on that one. And I also found one that um, it's a guy dressed up like the Grinch and he's eating an onion. <laughs> uh, that's amazing. <laughs> that 
So that's all I have. That's ASMR. Yay. And if you want updates on new ASMR, like actual scientific research, you can go to the website ASMR University and it posts up-to-date scientific research on the subject. Sweet. Do you want me to slurp my water again? No. I still hate it. It still makes me uncomfortable. It was terrible. Great job. Do you appreciate it more for other people maybe now? Well, yes, for other people, it might have some benefit. That's good for other people. For me, not so much. Are you ready, Cassie, for a riddle? I guess so. I may look alive, but I'm actually dead. I have been known to fill some with dread. (laughs) Following my demise, you must work quick. Otherwise, I won't look sick. I can bring back memories from the past. When done correctly, I am made to last. What am I? You have to work quick or they won't look sick? Yes, sick is a positive in this. Like, sick, man. Uh, I don't know. That's right, Cassie. This week, my topic is taxidermy. Puke. So, Cassie, why do you hate taxidermy so much? Because it's fucking weird. And why are we having dead carcasses in our house? Is and it a carcass? Yeah. It used Is to it? be it used to be a living thing and then you put all this shit in it and now it's in your house and I grew mm. up I grew up in a hunter's family and it's weird to fall asleep with deer that your father has shot staring at you and then we also used to play this game where we would try to <laughs> Where we would try to shoot hair ties onto the antlers <laughs> of the dead deer in our living room wall. And it was fun, but it was still weird. And then also we had squirrels. And then also we we had like, oh my God, what are they called? Pheasants. It's weird, man. Well, it's also an art form. Yeah, of dead things. See, I think you're very actually misinformed. Because a lot of the stuff you were saying, you I think you'll be interested to see some things about taxidermy because it's a little bit more a uh, little bit more interesting than I think you give it credit for. I mean, sure. I didn't say it wasn't interesting though. I just think the whole premise of it is extremely disturbing. Well, you might be surprised, but we'll get into all of that. So, where do we start? What even is taxidermy, Cassie? Do you have a definition? I mean, not really. Okay. And is it like preserving the body of an animal? A dead dead animal. (laughs) So taxidermy is the art of preserving an animal skin via mounting over an amateur. An amateur or an armature is just a framework around which a sculpture is built. Um, You can also do taxidermy via stuffing for the purpose of display or study. So basically, you are removing the internal organs, the skeleton, and putting something in place of that to make an animal look live with the skin on it. Oftentimes, these animals are portrayed in a lifelike state. So, I mean, that's basically what taxidermy is, but it's not always that simple. And taxidermy has actually changed a lot over time, and it goes way, way, way back there. Any idea um, when the or, where the origins of taxidermy began or where? Probably, I mean, like preservation of the skin, I would assume, because 
back in the day, you used all the whole animal because you had to. That's true. Do you, th- what, what civilization do you think first used some sort of taxidermy practice? Indigenous peoples. Perhaps, but we're going to Egypt because you know how much I love Egypt. Okay. So taxidermy, like I said, has its origins in ancient Egypt. And in his earliest incarnation, it involved complete embalming of animals and positioning them in lifelike positions near mummies. So basically, when the pharaoh died, everyone else just got mummified and got put down there with him. So they could go with him into the next life. So that included his pets. So there are cases of pet crocodiles and pet cats being mummified and then placed next to their master. Crocodiles for more protection and cats as just they were also guardians. So they were kind of there to guard the tomb and go with him into the next life. Interesting. Kind of gross to me, but you know. Who am I to judge? Well, see, here's the thing, though. That even though that is the origins of modern taxidermy, that isn't considered taxidermy. Um, the taxidermy we know in, to, in today's time didn't really start to show its face until the Middle Ages. During the Middle Ages, there was a very crude form of taxidermy that was performed, and oftentimes people like astrologers and apothecaries would keep these crude animal. Uh, taxidermy pieces in their shops and it was kind of be in their windows so like imagine you're walking down the street and you see a stuff like i don't know a stuffed cow (laughs) (laughs) i don't know why the first thing i thought of was a stuffed cow but what do you mean by crude it uh, okay well basically They didn't really know how to do it well. So there's a lot that goes into taxidermy. And if you don't do it properly, you run the risk of decomposition. You run the risk of the piece being infested with insects that end up eating the flesh and the skin and the hide, all that stuff. It's just a bad, it's just a bad thing. And also a lot of times they wouldn't remove everything. So you would just have a rotting smell coming from, because it is, the crude part makes it, it was a carcass. So Mm -hmm, in modern taxidermy, the only thing that you're actually taking is the skin. Everything else is removed. Yeah, that makes sense. The, it wasn't until 1748 that more modern versions of taxidermy were seen. The first example of true taxidermy was the preservation of animals in natural history cabinets. Do you know what a natural history cabinet is? So it is kind of a misnomer because they weren't cabinets like we think of a furniture. They were just big open like spaces where you would have just things from the natural world. So they were the precursors to museums, actually. Mm, my brain went to like political cabinets. So I pictured oh, them really? sitting <laughs> around a conference room table. <laughs> wow. Guessing that's not correct. Nope. Nope. These naturally hist- these natural history cabinets were basically just Areas where people around the world could just see, you know, the natural world in ways that they wouldn't be able to see anywhere else. Because, you know, back then we didn't have, we didn't print in color. We didn't have the internet. And, you know, books weren't just widespread for people to read and see these things. So this was the closest that a lot of these people ever got to seeing the, you know, seeing the world. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how it went all through the 18th century. But by the early 19th century, there had been a big boom in the tanning of hides. So like you said, people started using all parts of the animal. Mm -hmm. And most places had 
a tanner. Like every town had a tanning tannery where you could take your whatever and get it tanned. So during this time, many hunters would bring their trophies to these tanneries so that they could get, basically, they could just get the hide stuff so they could have a trophy. It was kind of crazy, though, because back then they would just like literally just stuff the animal skin full of cotton and rags and just sew it up and just it was just like a bloated, just a mess. It did not look like the animal. It was not (laughs) it was not an accurate. It was bad. (laughs) It was like a stuffed animal. But yes, exactly. It was a smelly stuffed animal. Because here's the other thing before like 1803. There was a real problem with bacterial growth on the inside of the hides, and they would oftentimes get infested with these bugs that would eat through the skin. So you would have this stuffed animal that was slowly rotting, but also had these giant holes and like cotton coming out. So imagine the worst stuffed animal ever. Someone, uh, has anyone made a horror movie about this? Because I'm about to jump uh, on it's it. It's basically like Five Nights at Freddy's, honestly. Those aren't real animals. Those are robots. Whatever. It's, it's, it's what it makes me think of. <laughs> or were they? So, in, ni- in 1803, Louis de Fresny, that's not how you say his name, but we're going to call him de Fresny. Louis. Louis de Fresny popularized the use of arsenical soap. Any idea what arsenic- arsenical soap is? Does it stem from arsenic? Yes, it is soap made from arsenic. Oh, my. So what was great about this soap is that they could rub it on the inside of animal hides and it had a two. It did two things. It one prevented bacterial growth on the inside of it. So it stopped decay and it also acted as an insecticide. So solved the problem right there. But guess what? Downside. Who would have thought arsenic's toxic? So rubbing arsenic soap on everything is probably not the best idea i mean if you didn't touch it would it be okay um sure but lots of people got really sick because guess what us humans if this podcast has taught me anything we love to fuck with toxic shit we either want to shove it in our bodies or we want to rub it on ourselves or god knows what lick it yeah seriously like you know someone was like huh i wonder what it tastes like Mm, tastes like arsenic Oh, that's what arsenic tastes like. My God. Passes out. So after Defresne, Defresne, what did I, Defresne? I don't know, just go for it. Uh, So Defresne's methods quickly spread and were soon updated and non-toxic methods of preservation were developed. So they were like, you know what? Everything else is trying to fucking kill us right now. Maybe we don't need arsenic soap. Let's calm this shit down a little bit. Good call. Yeah, you know, during the same time was when they were wearing the high heels that were like three feet tall to not step in shit on the street. So they had other problems. They didn't need arsenic soap. (laughs) Put on your heels to go buy some arsenic soap. (laughs) (laughs) Um, While huge improvements took place in the field of taxidermy during the early 18th century, depictions were still very crude and unconvincing. That would all change during the victorian era when taxidermy became an art form ooh ooh the golden age of taxidermy took place during the victorian era during this time mounted animals became the paramount of interior design i hate it every karen and denise had to have a stuff something to make their sad lives worth living 
was it the Karens or was it the Kevins that were like, we need no, animals? It was, it, no, you you will understand why it was the Karens and oh, the Denises okay. in a minute. All right. We're going to get to that. Mm-hmm. During this time, ornithologist and father of modern taxidermy, John Hancock, began to model his trophies out of clay and cast them in plaster. This provided a much more realistic mount and helped create the illusion of life. Ooh. This new technique was put on full display for the Great Exhibition of 1851 in London, where Hancock mounted a series of birds as an exhibit. His exhibit garnered praise from the public and scientific community because it was the first time animals had been preserved in a lifelike and artistic fashion. Okay. I hate it less that it's yeah. for educational purposes. Oh, wait. It, 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 it gets better. Like, I was very on the fence about taxidermy during this whole thing because I think it's interesting. But the more I learned about it, the more I was like, okay, this is actually, I kind of dig it. Uh, Hancock's exhibit was such a success that national interest in taxidermy skyrocketed and even Queen Victoria began collecting taxidermy birds. Hmm. Where do you put taxidermy birds? She had like a fake aviary. It was ridiculous. She had one of the largest collections in England. I was like, you can't hang them on a wall. Like, <laughs> Oh, she did. Oh, she no. hung them in life like mid-flies. <laughs> it's a I, thing, Cassie. I guess they do that now. Would, yeah, I guess that's what you would do with birds. I was looking at this one. There's this really good taxidermist, and I'm gonna, I cannot think of her name right now. Uh, but anyway, she had hummingbirds, which think about how small hummingbirds are and the amount of skill you have to have to actually do those. She had one where it was uh, a mama hummingbird and her two babies that had unfortunately died, but she got them quick enough that she was able to do taxidermy on them, and she has them on a flower. And the mama hummingbird is feeding the baby hummingbirds. It's it's beautiful. Uh, But also, side note. So during this time, it was the beginning of when pet owners began having their pets preserved. And that's where I draw the line. (laughs) They basically thought of it as a way to resurrect them. I mean, I'm not sure how I feel about it, but I kind of find it heartbreaking. It's like heartbreakingly beautiful because they just they couldn't bear to, you know, I don't know, be away. Yeah, but okay, so substitute that for a human. Well, I know, and we'll get to that later, but it almost seems to me like, you know, when an owner dies and that pet like will just lay on their grave. It's just like they're not ready to part, you know? Now that I bummed you out, let's talk about something on the ridiculous side. Why? Let's talk about anthropomorphic taxidermy. I'd rather not. So, like the name suggests, anthropomorphic taxidermy gives human characteristics to animals. <laughs> so, Cassie, I know how much you enjoy the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Oh, my God. Would you like to have that in diorama form? Wait, before you answer, because that was a rhetorical question, what if I told you you could have all the founding fathers in squirrel form? Does that sweeten the pot for you? I thought you were going to say dogs. Nope. <laughs> it's better squirrels. with squirrels. Kind of. I actually do kind of want to see it. <laughs> well, I don't have that picture for you, but that was just... <laughs> but but no shit there's a whole subset of taxidermy that became popular during the victorian period because of quote victorian whimsy yeah okay 
Listen, can we just all agree that Victorian England was a weird fucking place? <laughs> and I don't I don't think whimsy describes it properly. Mm, yeah. But yeah, anyway. The best known practitioner of this genre was the English English taxidermist Walter Potter, whose most famous work, The Death and Burial of the Cock Robin. I'm sorry. Yep. The what? Oh, don't worry. I have a picture. I'm sending it to you right now. Well, the first of three pictures, actually. Oh, God. Fucking slideshow. And while you get it, I'm going to describe it to the listeners. Okay, Cassie, look at the picture and I'm going to describe to our listeners what we're looking at. Okay, so the death and burial of the cock robin was based on an English... Um, uh, basically, it was just a story that was told and... This artist decided to um, uh, make a diorama of it, but it's using birds, <laughs> like a whole lot of birds. Oh, so birds. you have a whole a shit ton of birds watching a bird funeral where there's a bird in a small bird coffin with smaller birds being the bird pallbearers. And then you have a white snow owl digging the grave. Yeah, it's very realistic. Mm hmm. How does it make you feel, Cassie? Um, it gives me weird Lion King vibes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. But too many birds. Yeah, it's a whole lot of fucking birds. It's a lot to take in for sure. I give it 1.5 out of 5 stars. Okay. Well, I have another one for you. So let me, don't open it yet, but let's talk about, uh, during this time, there was another pair of successful artists in this genre. They were father and son duo William and Edward Hart. They gained widespread recognition with their boxing squirrels, which looks exactly like you'd expect, minus the tails, which I found widely unsettling. I'm sorry. Why no tails? Do you have the picture yet? Oh, yeah. I'm, got it. I mean, literally, they don't look like squirrels anymore. They just look like little field mice. Oh, I'm sad. I know, and there's a whole thing on here about being respectful of the animals, and I don't think this is respectful. Why did you cut their fucking tails off? It would have been so much better with the tails. Yeah. Also, this is probably the creepiest one I've seen, because they do not look happy. I give it zero out of five stars. I hate it. Wait. <laughs> oh no, is the next one worse? <laughs> I'm just getting a negative score. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um... So, this genre eventually evolved from a place of whimsy to more macabre, with bizarrely deformed animals becoming commonplace. Examples included two-headed lambs and four-legged chickens. But I'm not going to send you pictures of those, because that's ridiculous. Thank you. And instead, let's talk about, you know, recently there was a resurgence of this type of taxidermy art. Mm-hmm. And in 2012, artist Adele Morse gave us the stoned fox. Have you seen the stoned fox, Cassie? Is this the meme? That's taxidermy? No. Yep. And I've sent oh, it to you. That makes me so sad. I thought it was like a fake picture. Nope. Nope. Don't worry. Don't worry, though. Are you looking at it? No, not yet. <laughs> But I know what it looks like. Everyone knows what it looked like. It took the the internet by storm in 2012. Oh. 
But yes. No, that was a real fox. But don't worry. Don't worry. So, um, uh, Morse was taking a master's course on taxidermy at the Royal Academy of London, and the stoned fox was one of her projects. Um, shocker, she did not get a good grade on this <laughs> project. Did she fail? <laughs> um, but by the end of 2012, the fox had become an internet meme success. So I did do some more background looking on the fox, Cassie, and just this will probably make you feel a little bit better. The fox was actually, it lived a full life. It lived the end of its lifespan. And that's why it looks like that. It died of natural causes and it was old and it also was not preserved very well. So it's, that's why it looks like that. Okay. Question. Yes. Oh God. I just got the picture. Isn't it off putting? Yeah. It's horrifying. Do they does the school of taxidermy do they give you dead animals to taxidermize? So that is a point of contention, and that is a point that is very imp- that is it's one of the biggest things with taxidermy is modern taxidermy. There is a big push that all animals have to be ethically sourced. Mm. So basically, that means you can't just bring in some random animal that you killed and be like, taxidermy this. It has to be an ethically sourced um, carcass. If you use a carcass, because we'll we'll get into some more interesting things about taxidermy in a minute. But yes, that is the biggest thing right now is these animals have to be ethically sourced and they have to be preserved in a way that you can basically even make them usable. So Sometimes there's donations. Um, They don't usually taxidermy roadkill just because there's a lot of stuff that comes in. But if an animal dies of natural causes or, you know, animal on animal violence or just something along those lines, they'll try and, you know, save as many as they can and use them like that. But they're not going to go out and just kill something just to have like a taxidermy specimen. Well, that's good, I guess. And some some places will donate um, animals that have passed away from natural causes. So um, it's just something that, especially in the scientific community. Now, that's kind of different for like commercial taxidermy for like big game and stuff like that. That's a different sect. But I didn't go into that because I'm not very interested in that. I'm much more interested in scientific taxidermy and just like pre- preservative methods of saving things for later generations. But anyway. Yeah. I mean, I think that's my biggest... Um, I don't know, hater point uh, with taxidermy is that I think it encourages big game hunting because why else are they doing it? I got something for you in this. <laughs> okay. I'm so excited to tell you about it because I was excited to hear about it. Okay, so back to regular taxidermy, not the creepy animals doing human shit stuff, but... During the 20th century, taxidermy took a turn towards hyper-realistic, anatomically correct figures that were positioned in realistic settings and poses. This was a massive change from the Victorian whimsy and the caricatures popularly offered in hunting trophies. Through realistic mounting, these animals were given new life and shown the respect they deserve. Prior to this, I never thought of it, but like, hunting trophies are like, that's just fucking crazy. Imagine if we did this shit with people. I mean, I can respect that it's an art form, but I don't, I mean, I I think it's weird. And I think any if we did that with any people at all, it would be incredibly weird. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's, you know what it really makes me think of? 
and you may not remember this or not, but it really makes me think of Elmer McCurdy. Mm, I was literally just about to bring him up. Oh my God. So for those, for those of you who don't know, Elmer J. McCurdy was a bank and train robber. And um, uh, he basically died in a shootout between the cops and then no one claimed his body. But wait, someone did claim his body and it was a traveling circus. So during the 1920s, they took this guy's basically mummified body on the road and he was a sideshow attraction. And it gets worse. Um, Basically, his body was lost in history until 1976 at the Pike Amusement Zone in Long Beach, California, where he was used as a stage prop for a spooky, like, the spooky ride, basically. And one night, I think it was, they were filming, like, a movie or something there, and somebody went to, like, adjust him, and his arm fell off, and they realized that he wasn't a mannequin, but in fact was a real person that they had painted to look like a mannequin. So his body was lost for almost 60 years. So that's fucked up. So imagine that's that's kind of what we're doing with these taxidermy animals, but Yeah, see that's why I'm so it's just gross and Yeah, it's it's kind of yeah. God, when I first heard that story, it made me want to throw up both for two reasons. One because that's disgusting. Yeah. And then just like that man never got to if you can rest in peace when you die, that never happened for him. His his body was just. I think he did though, didn't they? Like cremate yeah, his they, body after that. I don't know if I, they either buried him or cremated him, or I don't know. We can thank my favorite murder for that story. Yeah, it's gross. Um. All right. Anyway, let's get out of like creepy creepo land. Um. Yeah. In more recent years, rogue taxidermy has become popular. Rogue taxidermy is a form of mixed media sculpture that references traditional trophy and natural history museum taxidermy, but does not always use animals. Okay. Yeah, sometimes they build animals from specs that they take, so like measurements. This is huge because it allows for the preservation of animals without the need of an actual carcass. This solves the problem of ethically sourcing animals and provides greater leeway in the creation of pieces because you don't have to worry about decay or anim- or insect infestation. So, Oh, yeah. I'm down for that. Yep. So that covers the history of taxidermy. So now let's talk a little bit about some of the methods at which you actually taxidermy an animal. <laughs> okay, go. Okay. Uh, The most common practice is the traditional skin mount, which is what most people think of when you hear taxidermy. The animal is first skinned, and in many cases, this is accomplished without opening the body cavity, meaning that taxidermists generally don't see any internal organs or blood. Just a skinless body. Yep. (laughs) I mean, honestly, I was kind of surprised by this because I kind of, in my mind, I pictured like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre where it's just like blood guts everywhere and you just have to like kind of pick the skin off. Well, so maybe a reason why I hate it is because when I was growing up, my mom worked at both a taxidermy place and a butcher shop. No, it was like a place where you took your deer that you killed and then they would Oh yeah, yeah, where they butcher it. Deer processing they, yeah, yeah. place or whatever. And so when I would go there after school, I would just see like a deer hanging up with like blood everywhere. 
<laughs> because you have yeah to... oh, they were butchering oh. it though yeah i know but <laughs> yeah yeah that's got to be hard to be a child how old were you well still in elementary school so like second no wonder grade? you were such a chicken shit thanks love you too cuz <laughs> i do love you but let's be real <laughs> what <laughs> cassie's not a chicken shit anymore that's me she's right. the one who's like it's me your girl cassie <laughs> yeah i guess that's true and i'm over there with sage being like i'm not your boy that is interesting you were much more brave when you were younger and i mean i'm brave with a lot of things just not that Following the skinning, the skin is preserved either chemically or it is tanned. The, the prepared skin is then applied to a pre-measured form to give it the appropriate shape and proportions. The final touches are applied following the mounting, which includes the insertion of painted glass eyes and in some cases, artificial tongues, beaks, teeth, or jaws. Cool. Yeah, so basically all they do is use the, use the skin. I really think this next one is going to be the one you hate the absolute most. All right. Are you ready for it? No. Okay, so recently, freeze-dried mounts have become popular. For all intents and purposes, a freeze-dried mount is a mummified animal. Prior to the pre prior to the preparation, the internal organs are removed, but all other tissues remain intact. The animal is then positioned in the desired pose and placed into a chamber of a special freeze-drying machine designed specifically for this application. Literally, all I can think of is somewhere in Disney World, you fucking know Walt Disney is cryogenically frozen. And that's the first thing I think of when I think of this. I don't... He's not in Disney World. There's no... Oh, a thousand percent. He wouldn't be in Disneyland. He's going to go to Disney World. There's way more places to hide. No, he's not there. Until he can rise up and steal the souls of all the children. I don't think that's why he wanted to be frozen, but... Yeah, he wanted to wait until there was a Jew-free world. There you go. It was racism. Ho oh. ho! Poor Mickey. But anyway, this machine creates a vacuum, and the moisture of the animal is vaporized, completely drying it out. During this process, it is very important to use the right amount of time when drying out the specimen because otherwise, like, there's a shit ton of tissue disformation, disformation, deformation. And, like, you can have, like, bumps or you can have just, like, rifts where, like, some tissue just doesn't dry out quick enough or dries out too quick and then it becomes brittle and it's just, it's a whole thing. So, basically, the time that it takes to actually dry out is directly correlated to the size. So, like something like a rhino would take six months in this chamber to completely dry out while something like the size of a squirrel would take, you know, a couple of days. Hmm. Side note, this is the most common form of a uh, pet preservation because it's the least invasive and it also can provide with the most realistic like life expression. So you can basically position your face, your pet's face, how you want it and then freeze it that way forever. God, I just don't. Usually, I try to relate to people. Yeah, I do not. I don't think I could ever do that to my pet. No, I, I, it's. I don't know. Uh, anyway, there's a huge drawback to this method, though, and basically, it's just that. Do they melt? It takes forever. Oh. What I said? Do they melt? <laughs> no, no. Actually, okay. So there's a couple of drawbacks. Actually, it's one. 
hella expensive. It's the most expensive form of taxidermy by far because you have to have that special chamber. You have to have multiple size chambers. The upkeep on is ridiculous. And then the it is time consuming because like I said, bigger things can take months to dry out completely. And then think of energy costs to keep things that cold for that long. It's a mess. Oh, also, this is probably the big one. You're basically just making a whole bunch of beef jerky for insects to chomp on. So that's a big thing is insects love this shit. They will eat all the soft tissue off because you're making beef jerky or cat jerky or dog jerky or rhino jerky. A shit ton of jerky. It's just... Like, you remember like that, uh, banana that dehydrator chips. I have? Yeah, I was about to say, or like banana chips. Like, yep. you're just dehydrating. <laughs> Listen, onion chips are delicious. That's true. We made homemade Funyuns. <laughs> we did. They were so good. I still have that thing. We should break it out next week. Okay. <laughs> have garbage, garbage plates in. <laughs> so anyway, okay. Now let's get to the best. Are you ready for this one? I think you're going to like this one, Cassie. Let's talk about reproduction mounts. Okay. You're going to like this one, Cassie. Mm -hmm. So a reproduction mount is a method that does not involve preserving the actual body of the animal. Instead, detailed photos and measurements are taken of the animal so that the taxidermist can create an exact replica in resin or fiberglass. This one, again, solves the problem of ethical sourcing and is the most resilient form of taxidermy. Like what we do with mannequins and wax figures. Yep. Are you, are you liking what you're hearing so far? I think so. Okay. This practice has become popular in the world of sport fishing as catch and release tournaments are becoming increasingly more common. This also provides the solution to taxidermy of endangered species such as rhinoceroses. Sport hunting using tranquilizer darts has now become an alternative to traditional big game hunting and it also provides the opportunity to provide the animals with needed vet care at the same time the hunter can pose with the animal that they have darted and they can take measurements so that a replica can be created so while it's still is considered big game hunting the animal's not harmed and it's actually helped by this and then the hunter still gets the thrill of shooting a big game but they're not actually hurting it in any way yeah i mean obviously that's better but i mean here's the thing that animal disgusting that someone wants the thrill of shooting no i can't i know it is but i mean if it's gonna happen i would rather it happen like this yeah i mean it's better than before but Still, and a lot of times these animals, like I said, they're being they were going to be tranked anyway. So now you're giving somebody who needs that thrill the opportunity to do it and not harm somebody. I mean, hell, if we just replaced all guns with trank guns, things would be a lot different. I think. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like those would be used more, but and you would just go outside and be like, "Oh my god, please, no one shoot me! I don't want, <laughs> I don't want to pass out right now." <laughs> But I don't know. I just think it's interesting. I think it's a way better alternative. I think it's really neat that they can make exact replicas from measurements and like photos. And there's no need to actually find an ethically sourced animal. In a similar fashion, there's also recreation mounts in which extinct animals are mounted in life-size representations through the use of historical data. So kind of like how we... Well, I mean, dinosaurs are kind of same, even though we do have their skeletons. We use those dimensions to make life-size things or like Mm -hmm. the dodo bird stuff like that oh yeah 
All right. So uh, the final form of taxidermy is the most basic, and that is the study is the study skin preparation. A study skin is prepared in a minimalistic fashion and only concerned with the animal skin, not shape. So basically, a study skin is prepared by skinning the animal and methodically scraping all the fat from the underside of the hide. Is this like deer skinned rugs? No, no. Uh, The hide is then rubbed in borax or cedar dust to help it dry faster. The animal is then stuffed with cotton and sewn up. Uh, Side note, they don't sew the mouth or the eyes shut, so you can totally see the cotton through the mouth holes. I feel like I've seen one of those. Yep. Um, The study skin's sole purpose is to preserve data and not replicate an animal in in a lifelike stance. Uh, Many museums keep large collections of study skins in order to conduct comparisons of physical characteristics to other skins of the same species. They also provide extractable DNA that could be utilized in the future if we ever are able to actually clone things and perhaps bring back extinct species. So that's there. Those are solely scientific and those animals are animals that would a probably not be um, candidates for traditional taxidermy. So they just save the skins for scientific reasons. But also that's like fucking creepy that they just have a stockpile of skins, (laughs) like massive amounts of skins. Like they're like, I have 3,700 skins. Yeah, it's like Ed Gein, but animals. See, I went Silence of the Lambs and uh, Buffalo Bill, but yeah, that too. That's who they're based on. Yeah, yeah. Wait, no. Yes? Who knows? (laughs) No, I know. (laughs) All right, and that's all things taxidermy. What did you think, Cassie? Were you surprised by anything? Find anything interesting? I still hate it, and I still think it's gross and incredibly weird, and I think we should just bury animals. (laughs) Uh, especially pets like that for sure crosses the line for me but i mean i guess i get the scientific stuff that's pretty cool so you don't want a diorama of squirrels signing the declaration of independence squirrels aren't necessarily pets okay so squirrels are kind of like on the line for me okay so if i got you a diorama of a squirrel ben franklin holding a kite and when you plugged it in there was like a lightning strike. No, I don't want any dead animals in my house unless I'm eating them. <laughs> Weird episode. I think this is the first time we didn't have anything that like lined up. Yeah, that's true. I picked a very niche topic, so. Mm, yeah. yeah, cool. Happy 10th episode, Cassie. Happy 10th episode. We've made it. Hey, all you haters. Why don't you go back and listen to our other episodes? Do They're it. pretty good. I mean... I think we've gotten progressively better. I think so. Do you have a favorite episode so far? I thought last episode, last week was pretty fun. I enjoyed that one. I thought it was a good, like, learned a lot of stuff. I also like the Sea Creatures episode. I feel like that one was pretty good. That's true. Since we did the last episode, I've had dreams about snakes so really? much. Yes, and they scare the shit out of me in dreams, so I don't know what's going on. I keep having dreams that they're in the apartment, and I'm scared they're going to eat Luna. That's and like a, That's a plausible fear right but it's like i'll have the dream it'll scare me i'll wake up i'll fall back asleep and then i'll continue the dream where i was oh god those are the worst i hate it that happened so many times last night and i looked up what dreams about snakes meant even though i don't believe that stuff but i was just like i wonder what they say and it was like all different sorts of shit so 
don't know, man. <laughs> oh, it'll be fun. What is your favorite episode, though? My favorite episode is Grapefruits and Prohibition. Oh, that was a fun episode. I forgot about that episode. It has the least amount of downloads, and that's my favorite one. Does it really? Yes. Why don't people want to learn about grapefruits? <laughs> <laughs> so now that we've made it to 10 episodes, we're going to skip next week. <laughs> yes. So next week, we are going on a little vacation. It is a three-day weekend, and we're going to just not do an episode. Yeah. We're actually going to see each other in person, Yeah, um, but I have other like work and life stuff happening so i don't think a lot of time to edit one and we just decided to take the week off for labor day because why work on labor day isn't that what that means yeah yeah i don't know what labor day means i don't either but take this as a great opportunity because we do have a pretty decent back catalog now so if this is your first episode and you're kind of hooked go back and listen to our other nine episodes we'll be back in uh two weeks with a new episode yeah we'll be back and we have all of the episodes planned out through the end of the year, including the very special month of October. We like to refer to it as Spooktober here at the Haters Podcast. Tyler does. He calls it Spooktober. Spooktober. So instead of, I mean, I guess we're kind of picking topics that the other one hates, but we're also picking a few topics that we just want to talk about. Yep. That are spooky. They're not so much things that we hate. They're just things that the... We kind of take a opposite approach. It's some things we do hate, but some things it's just the other person really, really likes them. And it annoys us that they like them that much. Yes. All right, guys. Yeah. Well, well, we're looking forward to that. So I We are. We're so excited. I've been trying to announce it for like six weeks and Cassie wouldn't let me. Yeah. Now that the pumpkin spice lattes are out, I feel like it's fall, which is spooktober. So. Spooky Halloween. You're welcome. All right, y'all. That's all we got for you this week. Until next time, hasta luego. See you later.